you know, I, there are a few issues I'm, I just haven't got worked out yet. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Well, Too you bad. know what to say. I do? Yes. I know what to say? Yes. To whom? To start the recording, Heron. Oh, um, I do? You do. Hello, Tom. Hello, Heron. <laughs> oh, that. Oh, yes, that old shtick. So I'm, I'm. So you've recovered. I'm a little fragile of mind this evening, but I thought we have a new listener called Lyle, and Lyle seems to be a really heavily devoted listener. And I was thinking this evening, I've got to record a Stone Ape with Heron just for Lyle. Lyle, this one's for you, Lyle. Very good. <laughs> Lyle is a fellow podcaster. He is a podcaster of many, many years. He started out on an NPR station, and then he went independent. So he now records with two or three of his buddies and occasional guests at Netflix, I think every Monday. So hmm. Yet to invite me on the show, but I'm looking forward to it, Lyle, when it eventually <laughs> happens. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I, I had kind of one meandering topic and a few other minor topics, but nothing really definitive. But the meandering topic actually, I think, might be a topic that will cause some listener interest and contribution, hopefully. Oh, that would be nice, yeah. Do you have any topics? Well, I saw your video with your little creature things there. Yes. And part of my internal monologue was just going crazy. Oh, it's a completely created character. Well, no, I'm not not talking about that. I'm just talking about your interest in those kinds of things. Oh, yes, yeah. You know, uh, and 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 then I started looking at my own life and yeah. realized I'm a fan of sumo wrestling. Exactly. <laughs> so put, so, put so, my enjoyment of little lead figures you know, in you your enjoyment You got your weird of shit, exactly. and I guess I got mine. Exactly. That's about all we can say about oh, it. Man. No, it's actually interesting because that is a character that was generated on a podcast that I used to do, and then because I gave a negative review of a book one of the sponsors of the podcast decided to kick up a stink. And based on that, I left the podcast. But I maintain the character, and I wheel the character out occasionally on YouTube. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the character didn't... Um, I hadn't even considered that. I mean, I, I, I understood what you were doing. <laughs> you understood on some meta level, but you didn't realize that it was a character. Um... Well, I didn't really think about it. I was just—I mean, I knew it was you, and I I was just curious to see what it was about. And um, and I don't think you mentioned anything. Well, I don't remember now. I I only watched it once, so I don't remember when I became aware. It seemed to me it was only at the end that I figured out that you weren't doing it as you. I don't recall if that's in the beginning or not. What's interesting is that I gave another negative review of another game. Now I, I say, you know, this is Monty in the Bay Area. I start off like that. I did okay. another negative review of a game about three years ago now, and the game... Well, in fact, I've done a few negative reviews of games through that moniker, and the people were still able to track me down and find my real name and do a bunch of things based on that. But my perspective, wait, wait, oh, you mean people getting even with you, you mean? Well, it, it's very curious. I've never had... You think our listeners are a bit out there. I had an amputee contact me when I did this podcast, and I had a series of really crazy and slightly mentally defective folk contact me through this period of time. I think the obsession associated with toy soldiers is well, that's not surprising. Very yeah. different than the obsession <laughs> associated with model rail oh, or I think the obsession so, yeah. associated with linguistics. Yeah. 
Yeah. These are people that are particularly interesting, and sometimes you get interactions with folk that are slightly more, um, let's just say, out there than you might normally do. Well, you know, I just am more and more astounded every day, you know, that anything at all works, given the level of insanity in the language monkeys I see around me. Mm. It's just, I mean, it's really beginning to worry me, though, Mm. you know, that the way things are going, that, you know, I may have been, you know, things may be coming to a head more quickly than I had Um, hoped for. My view is that that, I mean, certainly in my neighborhood, I don't know about your neighborhood, but in my neighborhood, just based on the fatalities alone, and also the really bizarre narrative that comes with those fatalities. I mean, it just strikes me as curious that the police department has about 40 less, 40% less staff, yet they can only do about 10% of their job. I mean, that strikes me as just being slightly out of whack. Anyway. Well, the whole thing, like I say, it's just, it's like everything <laughs> all over the world. Everything yes. is accelerating yes. and getting weirder and yes. it's not going to get normal again. No, I don't. It's, I think it's this past whole, that point now. This whole nat- notion of normal in. Yeah. It's just not applicable. Well, I it worked. It made sense. I grew up in a normal world. Yeah, it's not that world of, anymore, Heron. What? It's not that world anymore. No, I know it's not. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Uh, is that yeah? I know there are a lot. Well, that's why I'm so encouraged is because there's a lot of people who ha- who don't know what normal is. Yes. You know, who have never experienced anything like stability in the outward environment. Yes. It's always been in chaos. It wasn't like that when I was a kid, though. Yes. Well, that just could have been because there was no internet and things like that. I mean, well, it, it could have mean, been chaotic. Yeah, it's yeah. all of that. It's yeah. it's everything. <laughs> this is yes. a new world. <laughs> yes. So do you have any topics this evening? Um, I don't know. Let me look and see. <laughs> well, I write things down. Certainly. On occasion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I watched the Wiener movie. Oh, that's topical. I was going to actually raise him this evening. So, yeah. want a yeah. better term? Yeah. Well, what what's interesting to it to me? I realize when I look at. I also watched another movie called the 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 woman who wasn't there. Oh yes, Have I you? watched that as well. I okay. know that one well as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I you know, and I realize that when I watch movies like this, I tend to watch them sympathetically in a sense. I mean, I, I mean, you? I know they're trying to make people look bad. I mean, that's the, that's the whole point. But I don't, I mean, my <laughs> view is actually the Wiener movie was, I mean, he looks bad because he's, he, because of what he does. I don't think the documentary well, see, I, folk that, were. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. he looks bad, obviously. I mean, yeah. that's just not an, an issue. But, but hooking it up to some sort of morality is, is where I find it kind of interesting, mm. you know, because I don't, I mean, you know, he's got, <laughs> his problems, you know, but, you know, just like the, you know, the little army men mm-hmm. and sumo, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's brain damaged language monkey and they've all got a different, unique set of things. He's clearly got a lot of really good, strong shit going for him. Do you think that's the case, though? Well, to have all that, to, to get those people to support him after the first time? After the first time, well, they didn't. After the second time, and very no, few no, stuck but, around but after the third. No, no. What I'm saying third. is, uh, you know, he 
I, his political ideas and, and apparently, well, I don't know that much about him, but I mean, yeah. I, I think as a politician, with the minor exception of, of his perversion, yes. <laughs> you know, um, I think he's just fascinating and he's another language. And I just don't attach any kind of negativity to it. I, I see it as a burden for him. It's too bad that he doesn't have that. Yeah. You know, or that he has that because he, he probably could be a damned powerful and good politician. So you may not know this, but in the past couple of days, new information associated with him has come to light. In particular, the fact that he had one of these sexting things with a 15-year-old, but also that his son is in photographs. So he has photographs where he has erections with his arm over his son and things ah, like that's- that. Well, like I say, he's a brain-damaged language monkey. No, I think, I, my perspective is <laughs> he's fascinating associated with someone who just clearly has these compulsions and these obsessions, which... Yeah, if he wasn't a politician, if he just worked at, you know, at the bank as a teller... Yeah. <laughs> you know, this... But I actually think the nature of these relationships, and we've talked a bit about this associated with yeah. men that have you know, multiple partners. The time that he has in order to communicate with these women is just extraordinary. Yeah, well, the whole thing is just fucking bizarre as hell. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, you know, he, he's a fan. Like I say, I found him to be a fascinating character. Well, this <laughs> you know, is why just- I mentioned the film to you, because I thought in terms of clearly curious yeah. brain damaged language monkey. Well, and, and also in the, that woman in the woman who wasn't here, there. Yeah. I mean, I guess nothing. She has just disappeared, and so there hasn't been a follow-up interview with her. Well, it's an interesting. I mean, when we talk about the story here, when we talk about people holding on to the story, yeah, and you know, different stories and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> she just had a story, right? Well, but it'd be interesting to see how she views her story. Yeah. You know, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear her to see an interview with her now. Yeah. You know, that would be fascinating to see. <laughs> well, they found her on the street. I mean, that's the conclusion of the documentary, right? Yeah, or, yeah. But, I mean, that's pointless. I mean, it, especially it's been a few, I don't know, what year What year was that um, done? I don't know. I watched it maybe two years ago. Okay, so it's a couple of years old. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, no, I would like to see, you know, a half-hour interview, sit down at a table with, somebody who's not an idiot and uh, just you know and and her being willing to talk about it it'd yeah. be fascinating to <laughs> you know to, insight into how did her. that idea even come to her yeah. i mean when, <laughs> you know i mean when i first started watching the movie i was just thinking i thought the lie was that she was in the building when in fact she i thought she you know i mean I, as far as i knew yeah. she was married to some guy who worked there yes and that, then that she made up the story that she was there when the building collapsed, but actually she wasn't there. Yes. You know, but it, then as the story unfolds, <laughs> you know, more and more, then mm. realize the whole thing is just made up. But you know? it's interesting, actually. I mean, this gets into the topic that I wanted to discuss, but I just wanted to give two footnotes to that thought, though. There are a number of examples through both documentaries and, you know, films that are based on events where large parts of people's life story are made up by them at some point in their life oh yeah sure and i think actually it's probably far more common oh it's it's all of us yeah we've all well again we mistake our story for the way it is yeah 
You know, it's just a fucking story that we've put together. Mm. You know, <laughs> that's all it is. You know, I mean, some work better than others. There are all sorts of interesting ways to analyze that, but that's all there is. It's mm. just these fucking stories we make up out of our experience. Certainly. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. She was fascinating. I mean, it was just, I was really shocked at the end to realize, I mean, I saying, I thought she at least knew the guy <laughs> you know, or something, yeah. you know? but, but I mean, she just, you know, made it up out of, out of nothing, you yeah. know, just picked somebody and well, she must've done some, see, I mean, that took some research on her part to get you know, I mean, I wonder how long before it first got to her to where, when it solidified into her story. Because that story she had couldn't – I mean, she had to do some research first, it would well, seem. It's, it's interesting because my perspective is the research came about through her telling the story. I mean, she met the fellow's parents and things like that through the story. Yeah, that's true. It, it got her. But, I mean, still just – well, I, I like I say the, the dynamics of the whole thing. Mm. It would just be fascinating to talk to her. I'd love to talk to her. Mm. Yeah. There was a, romantic, a little bit of wine and uh, yeah. <laughs> you know. There was a romantic comedy called "While You Were Sleeping," which I saw seven times. Which actually again fits into the main topic I want to discuss this evening. And that film is about a woman who cre does exactly the same thing, but it's done in a very kind of romantic, flirtatious sense where. She's the ticket collector in the subway and sees this man every day. And when he finally, he gets knocked out, I think, or something happens to him. And she just says, oh, he's my fiance, which is the start of a lie. Yeah. Which then goes on for the remainder of the film until uh. he regains consciousness and can't remember <laughs> her, funnily enough. <laughs> you get these stories and also there's a film called the informant which is about a fellow who did a wide variety of really quite crazy things but again large parts of his life were made up yeah and you know this is a real living guy who you know yeah, yeah. got out of well, jail eventually for what he did you know? yes i mean how does <sighs> yeah yeah yeah, I love that shit. Yeah, that's just mm. that's just uh, well. Again, when looking at the power of stories, mm. and, and well, what can you say? Yeah. It's difficult, really, to decompose the topic that I want to discuss this evening. But I'm going to try and do so in a decompose. Relatively, yes, is that like deconstruct? No, it's 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 different than deconstruct because okay. it's well. To say deconstruct indicates that it has some Sounds structure. Sounds like postmodernism. Yeah, it's, it indicates it has some structure. It doesn't really have any structure, but I'll try to give it some structure. <laughs> so, as you found today, which was actually quite nice to have Jeffrey Ventrella also comment on one of your posts, I think about simulation in a number of different ways. And my ability to think about simulation enables me through noble ape and through general conversation to have slightly more organized thoughts associated with certain things. And one of these areas which I've always had conceptual problems with, just giving a relatively coherent, simulatable story, and it's interesting actually working with Bob Mottram associated with this specifically, because Bob has his own perspective which comes through in the code, is associated with sexuality and programmed sexuality, which is why the discussion associated with Wiener is interesting, because... Someone who has these curious sexual proclivities 
seems to be so outside the norm until you actually start to appreciate. No, what he's the norm just is. what's outside yeah. the norm for him is he acts on it. Most well, people are uh, just too intimidated, well, or he, he, uh, he's he's not yeah. sufficiently covert enough. To act on it and not be caught. He's yeah, he should have caught. been more intelligent. <laughs> yeah, no, this is the thing, is that most people yeah. seem to, you know, if they uh, have yeah, yeah. sexual proclivities, yeah. seem to be very covert about it in some way. Yeah, yeah. he's, um, he's well, that's part of his dysfunction, yeah. is that re- kind of recklessness, probably. Yes. yes. You know, well, I, I mean, it clearly actually, is, because yeah. it's destroyed him. But he clearly, on some level is addicted to the recklessness component to it because yeah that's probably yeah. the yeah that's all the how far can you go Certainly. well he found how far he can't yes. go now now he knows how he's going to have to dial it back a little well or who knows i mean or or yeah. uh, well he's he's either going to have to give up public life you know or yeah. well he'll do what he does you know it'd be interesting to see what he does if he comes back you know Certainly. again <laughs> to try yeah. anyway so Historically, the narrative that I've given associated with sexuality came through my experiences growing up in Australia. And a lot of that was associated with a variety of different factors, but primarily a hierarchical, almost systematization of the sexuality that I was handed down by, you know, sexual education and things of this nature. And the thing that interested me through this narrative was it's relatively easy to program that, you know, you get sexuality from, you know, a broad social group, and then you can kind of evolve from that. But in terms Well, you're of, trained into it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but then you have all these additional things that manifest themselves in people's sexualities, which are in no way relating to that kind of narrative. And I thought, historically, like, how does one even programmatically start to do this? To, wait, to do what? To create a simulation for ad- an adequate means of simulating sexuality in an explanatory, well, not necessarily an explanatory fashion, but at least something that will show all the degrees of weirdness that we see before us. You want to duplicate this in a machine? In a computer simulation. What I'd like to see is that no belief has- <laughs> Well, this is where it gets interesting, right? This is actually an interesting problem. And I've talked historically <laughs> yeah. with you associated with, yeah. you know, my own experiences and how do I map these things down. Well, it's going to need some randomness inserted Clearly. in places where there Clearly. normally isn't any. <laughs> but I don't, I mean, through this, I've also felt, and t- to be frank here, you have a better recollection of your, just through our discussion, which may scare you, but I'm going to say it out loud. You have a better recollection of aspects of, your childhood and your teenage life than I do. And well, some things, yeah. I, most of it, I, I, you know, but there are little things here and there I recall. Well, I mean, when we discuss it, there are certain conversations that we've had that I yeah. just do not have primary acts, or at least I don't think I have primary acts. Well, yeah, maybe the right trigger. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Well, this is where it gets interesting. Yeah. So I'm also an occasional student of lucid dreaming and setting dream problems and these kind of things. And not last Friday night, but the Friday night before we recorded, it ended on a, what I thought was not a particularly nice note. And I kind of went away from that in a in a funk, for want of a better term. And cognitively, I thought to myself, let me frame a dream problem to get some insights into these curious things associated with sexuality that I want to simulate. But in yeah. particular, 
the narrative that I have with regards to sexuality and sexual programming and systematizing doesn't address a series of simulation issues that I want to explore. Now, historically, on I can count on one hand the number of times that I have framed lucid dreaming problems that have actually given me back new verifiable information. A lot of the stuff that I get through this is is abstract and it doesn't relate to things that I can put into Google. But when I find things that I can put into Google and actually verify, I'm in... In fact, I've never not... Well, this is the first lucid dreaming experience where I've woken up, written a bunch of stuff down and then gone back to sleep. And the stuff that I've written down looking at it after the fact without the context looks almost like gobbledygook. But actually to then Google the various components produced something which I found very profound and it made me think very critically associated with whether I have repressed memories, whether I have no memories, I've just forgotten things, or whether there is an underlying narrative which can be exposed through these Mm. kind of interactions. So on a personal level, it completely changed my perspective because it gave me a couple of insights, well, half a dozen insights, which I thought was really curious because I I had no primary knowledge of it until I started googling and doing the various other stuff. But then I and when when was this happening? So this was the, so Friday night I went to sleep. Okay, right. at about this two, two weeks ago Friday, right? Two weeks ago Friday. Yeah, we okay. just recorded Stone. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I, I agree. And at about two a.m. I woke up bolt upright with half a dozen things that I had to write down. <laughs> which at that the time, must be fun. <laughs> which at the time, in the context of a dream, yeah. made no sense. But in the context of Googling them and then reflecting on them after the fact. That's how my writing system came. It came. It woke me up in a dream and I was up for the next like 12 hours at a restaurant writing it out. <laughs> yeah, thankfully for this, I was up for only a short period of time and then went back to sleep. But the main thing that occurred to me was that... It put my brain, my mind, back in a period of time which I, on Friday evening, had no primary access to. But there were two time frames that were presented to me through these elements. One was associated with very early childhood. I probably would have been about three or four at the time. And the other was associated with the period of time after I'd had my first serious girlfriend but before I left Australia. And I had another serious girlfriend afterwards this is the period of time between these two women who well one lived with me one didn't live with me and it put into perspective the some changes that i need to make associated with firstly my own narrative but also associated with simulated sexuality which struck me as just really very very curious i'm still decompressing some of these aspects but the first was a list of names which were very curious and childlike And then I remembered, actually, and this, again, I had no primary access to on Friday night, but waking up and thinking about this reminded me that my father had a series of nonsense names for women that he knew. And these nonsense names (laughs) were very (laughs) curious. And at age, age about four or five, my mother told him to stop using these nonsense names around me. But I realized as an adult writing them down, that they were commentary associated with the women's intelligence, but also physical attributes that the women had in conjunction. And as a small boy, I made these things into rhyming songs, which I used to sing. (laughs) 
And what I realized here was that what was notion- he doing? That almost sounds like Wiener. Well, this, <laughs> you know, do, doing that kind of shit. What the well, fuck is he thinking? <laughs> so the curious thing about this memory is that I then stayed with his father when I was about 11. And his father insisted, and this was very curious for me as an 11-year-old boy, to write down an ordered list of the girls that I liked and then send them all postcards. And this notion of, like, ordering hierarchical kind of sexuality and how formative it was in my childhood, but also how my father clearly got it from his father, struck me as really Mm. very, very curious. And it's something that was not in any way... Mm. I, I went to bed without this knowledge on Friday night, and I woke up in the morning remembering these... piecing this thing together. What I found particularly fascinating with his father was that I had to generate a list of five or six names... Sent off the postcards. One of them was a I'm friends with her on Facebook now, which is just the nature of Facebook. But one of them was like a a girl who was probably a year and a half, two years younger than me, who was the neighbour kid. And when she received this postcard from Tom, she didn't. She thought it was another Tom that she knew. And there were all these curious things associated with. And I remember also literally being forced to sit down and write these postcards. How old were you? I must have been about eleven at the time. Forced to do it, man. Yeah. Well, the, the main concern with my grandfather, which didn't really manifest itself with my father, was that all the ethereal sociology Bob Dylan bullshit that my father had taught me yeah. meant that I wouldn't have a list of, you know, there might be boys in there or this kind of stuff. So it was very important for my grandfather that I sit down and write to... Become a normal man. Yes, right? exactly. Like, this is what normal men do. Yes. But the hierarchical list component, and also that my father <laughs> also taught me the hierarchical list component to this thing. And the nature of the names that he had for this, these women was also very curious to me. Because as an adult now, reflecting on these names, I know that they are both derogatory and also sexualized, which is obviously yeah. why my mother, you know, eventually told him to stop doing it. Yeah, slutty, stupid. That's well, a good, things, good name. <laughs> along those lines, I'm not going to share the list of names here, but it was like that, basically. Yeah. yeah. Except there were more gratuitous descriptions of their body parts and things like that. But anyway, <laughs> so and he used these names in the house. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, you can see where this is going. Here. Well, no, it's again, you know, it's just, you know, we're all a bunch of fucking brain damaged language what, monkeys, this is, this you know. Is the fascination that I got through this thing. So the second <laughs> period of time is associated with a piece of music which is attached to a very curious independent New Zealand film of the time. And this actually, I had this piece of music. In fact, my notation is of the music. And then going back and seeing this thing, it made me recall like a really low point in my life and a perspective I was at the time, basically, you know, I was living in the shed, I was desolate. But all the, you know, romantic attention of my peers was in no way on me. They would just come to me and tell me their problems. And this period is something which is summed up in some of the music and some of these other elements that still exist associated with No Blape. But the raw emotion of this thing through this song and this film came back to me. And I had, again, you told me the name of this film on Friday night, the piece of music, nothing. But on Saturday morning, Googling this information and realizing this is a real thing, 
Like, this note that I have, this music, is a real thing. I had no primary access to it on Friday night. This is 20 years ago. So these two things from, you know, 38-odd years ago, 37, 6, what have you, and then 20 years ago, came to me through this thing, this lucid dream, and gave me something to Google and something to remind myself of just the curiosities of these things, you know? <laughs> The only other experience I've had somewhat like this is when I dreamt a connection between two people that actually turned out to be the case. And, well, I've done that previously, but this was a particularly abstract connection, which is the way I rationalised it to myself at the time, was that I just had so much sense data around this stuff and dreaming this connection actually identified that the connection was there. It probably was very subtle. But I just hadn't picked it up. Well, you know, I've just about given up on the concept of reality mm. anyway. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, my perspective on this thing is this is exactly where I ended up with this circumstance. I mean, here I had this somewhat nice narrative associated with, you know, going around Europe in a pushchair age three and a half, four, you know, seeing all these beautiful paintings and various antiquities and things like that. But really, my sexuality was programmed by my father's nonsense poetry associated with... <laughs> well, your whole culture. I mean, we absorb our culture, yes. the language. It's built... Yes. It's unavoidable. Well, it's interesting, actually, because my main reflection on this thing was that it created this notion of a hierarchy of romantic interest which programmatically actually followed me through my adolescence. And I'm not sure I understand what you mean by a hierarchy of romantic. See, there, for me, it was really simple. Mm. Is I, I either want to fuck you or I don't. Mm. <laughs> but in, in your energies, in your romantic <laughs> energies, there's still an energy cost associated with wooing, you know, a potential partner, Right. So you don't, well, but that's every one of those is totally. I mean, you know, every situation you find mm. yourself in is is potentially different. Well, yeah. So go ahead. Well, <laughs> I just I, I don't mean, think you can prepare for this stuff. Well, Maybe you can't. I guess this is my faulty programming versus your faulty programming. <laughs> we cannot have a battle of faulty programming. I think. But no, it's well, it's yeah. Again, it's not. Yeah, it's not faulty. It's just different programming. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yes. But uh, no, this this whole thing made me realize that I need to cultivate more lucid dreaming. Because after doing some basic searching and basic thinking about this stuff, the other thing is that these people are memorialized, this, this nonsense poetry is memorialized in people in a photo album. We had a photo album as a young boy that I would go through with my father. And he would point out, you know, this is so-and-so, and this is so-and-so. And with so -and -so. these names. With these names. W was he having affairs with them? Or well, or this is where it gets very, very curious. And this is actually a part of my life, which I probably, this is the reason that I repress this stuff. Because certainly my mother reconstructs a very interesting narrative where my father was having affairs up until the point that they got divorced. I don't know that for a matter of fact, but the nature of the descriptions that he gave these women, <laughs> but also the fact well, it that, could be, it, it, yeah, yeah it, it, you know, you really don't know. Yeah. Have you talked? Has he said anything? Or so here's here's I haven't approached either of my parents associated with this information. <laughs> my perspective is I'm going to be in Australia, actually with both of them, in at the end of the year. 
Oh, perfect. Yeah. The first thing I want to do is see if... Well, start your list of questions now. Well, <laughs> the first thing I want to do is passively see that this photo album exists. And I know it exists, but I want to see whether my mother owns it or my father owns it. If my father owns it, I probably will never see it. If my mother owns it, there's a good chance for me to see it. Interesting. Have, Why would she have it? Um, well, that's the nature of divorce, and that's the nature of mm. one partner moving mm. to California and the other one staying in Australia. It's all very curious how these possessions are spread. Well, yeah, so fucking language monkeys. Yeah. They've got a weird exactly. way of doing shit, man. <laughs> My perspective sure. is... I've had a series of really very mature conversations with my mother, most of which she's actually initiated, associated with her suspicions of people that oh, my father... Good. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you guys actually can talk, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's The that's curious great. thing is some of these women actually came to my brother's wedding, which is just the nature of these things. But well, was, again, if, with, if there's no concrete... Mm. I mean, who knows what the fuck's going on? I mean, well, my know, mother is also it. friends with a number of these women as well, which is where... What do they say? I mean, curious. has anyone brought... This sounds like a great uh, Netflix movie. <laughs> I don't know how one would even approach this thing. Oh, well, you talked before about getting... To, you wanted to do a film about something. I don't remember what it was, but... It was associated with transgender model railroaders. There you go. Yeah. So this would be much sounds. This is much juicier. Yeah. Well, it is. If it, I mean, my perspective is <laughs> the nature of this thing is so curious to me. In particular, the nature of like <laughs> hierarchical things, and also, See, I, I don't get hierarchy. I don't. I, I'm. Tr I'm trying to figure out what the hell does that mean in this case. I, I don't what understand. It means that. is that there are women that are above other women in the naming conventions, in the songs, in these kind of things. That actually, uh, how, it's a set above order. how. I mean, I don't know, what does that mean to be above somebody? Well, this is where it gets very curious. The na the notion is. That if you, um, this is my interpretation. I can probably give a different interpretation. Following, I mean, beauty. I mean, I can see one woman might be more beautiful to me than mm. another. Mm. Is that the kind of difference you're talking about? I think it's it's more than just beauty here. No, it's, but I mean, that's the kind of thing. I mean, one may be yeah. more intelligent than another. Yeah. No, in fact, it's it's interesting actually that the hierarchy is inversely proportional to intelligence, which is what I find particularly curious about this thing <laughs> i need to also explain what about one a other sense thing. of humor i need to explain one other thing which is particularly curious part <laughs> of this thing was associated with interactions that i only had with my father and part of it also was the fact that if any of this came out with regards to my mother it was frowned upon there were a couple of instances where i you know identified implicitly the the existence of this list and hierarchy and this convention and all this kind of stuff and my father immediately reacted very violently some of this is actually photographed which is particularly <laughs> curious so my perspective is that there is a silent there's a silent there's a cabal here of men and men business and passed down probably from his father to him and passed down from him to me and in this cabal there is a you know, this is the way... Yeah, but you see, talk. your awareness of this breaks the cycle. Mm. Mm. Well, I don't have anyone to pass this on to. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that too, I guess. <laughs> <But>, yes. <laughs> well, my awareness of it just makes me think how completely curious this whole thing is. Well, how brain damaged we all are. Yeah. You know, but I mean, really. Also, the fact that certain aspects of my life... And, I mean, certainly this this notion 
of a named hierarchy and interchanges in the hierarchy and when women could be added to the hierarchy. And all this kind of stuff just strikes me as really very bizarre. Oh, and yeah, it is. Even to- Well, again, it, it's not even logical. I mean, a hierarchy is... is- if you talk about a hierarchy, it needs to be hierarchized, whatever the word is, yeah. by some single parameter. Otherwise, yeah. it's not a. So they're either higher. It's hierarchical well, by assertion or intelligence here is the, or humor. Is the hierarchy or, is associated with sexuality. It's associated with your. Okay, sexual how interests. much I want to fuck you? Exactly. Okay. All right. See, that's what I said to begin with. That's what yeah. it's all about. Yeah, that's what it's all about. <laughs> you know? Okay. So he's, he's at the top of his list is the ones he really wants to fuck. Yeah. And the one at the bottoms is he would if he maybe had a couple beers. Exactly. Okay. I, uh, okay. I got yeah. it. Yeah. But this, this programming and this notion of this is the way you behave as a heterosexual male, which always fascinates me because historically when I've seen you know, various pieces of American film and things like that, the teaching of sexuality in the U.S. is varied and, and very different. Oh, it's it's so sick. Well, I think yeah. it probably is. Well, I don't know about other cultures, but boy, it sure is fucked up here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's mostly from the movies. Yeah. That's where kids well, learn everything they know. It's fascinating, actually, because my certainly film is secondary. I mean, this is what's very curious about this film thing, you know, thrown in there, is when I went back and looked at the film stuff that's available and the music associated with the film i thought to myself i must have been in a really because now i don't see it as sexual that's what's particularly curious now i just see it as this strange new zealand documentary yeah and that is where it gets particularly curious that you know clearly i'm completely different now than i was you know then and i'm completely different than my three-year-old self but I do understand the nature of this programming and how it's kind of led in various directions now, far more intimately than I did, you know, Friday night two weeks ago. Mm. But anyway, representing this in terms of programming is very interesting, though, because <laughs> it's interesting because Bob Mottram kind of codified this in Noble Ape in a curious way. Because within Noble Ape, the. You codified what? This the notion hierarchy? of hierarchy, but also the notion of fetishes. Now, in Noble Ape, fetishes are associated with perceptions, body parts, and I think some degree of interaction. Wait a minute. How is a fetish is uh, – right. a fetish if, – if it's non-sexual, then it's not a fetish, right? Exactly. I mean, if you no, happen this is to really fetishes. dig vacuum cleaners, is well, that a fetish no. or is that just a hobby? No. Okay, so what this is talking about here is associated with how one Noble Ape will be attracted to another Noble Ape. What are the parameters of attraction between these two entities? Ah, okay. And, All right. and, and, and being of opposite sex, too. Yeah. I mean, well, that, not necessarily, but in a hierarchical list. Okay. So there are multiple hierarchical lists here, or potentially just one? Potentially so. I think there's just one here, which is very much akin to the programming that I'm describing from my early Which is childhood. basically how much I want to fuck you. Yes. <laughs> okay. So that, well, that really does simplify a whole lot of well, shit. Well, except you know? once you have that perspective... <laughs> you then need to try and codify how you actually get to that hierarchy. Like, how can you explain how you get to that hierarchy? Oh, you don't need to. All you need no, to do you is do know that you simulation. really want to fuck somebody. You see, you're again in turn, you're being the simulated entity in this circumstance. As a simulation author, you yeah. have to write this in code somehow. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, you just give it a number between. Well, it, you know, it could be randomly generated, you know, but or not. You look at, I mean, what I find particularly curious as a married man, but also out in the 
while, you know, when I was dating people, was how diverse and curious people's fetishes are. And by fetish, you mean what? I'm not going to use any of my spiritual advisors examples, but when she describes certain things to me, I find them really very curious. And I think it's actually the nature of Well, I mean, some people like are really interested in people's feet. Exactly. That's the you whole know. thing, you know. Yeah. So, it's, so what we're talking about, when you say fetish, you're talking about a, an interest that's involved with sexual exactly. stuff, yes. involved with somebody's body, some particular exactly. body part. Or, I mean, you know, fetish is used in a lot more abstract ways. Yeah, right? let's, we're talking purely associated with sexuality. Okay. All right. I got you. But also, like, very, for example, I've mentioned this woman previously. She's now dead. She died in a lunatic asylum. In... My interaction with her, haphazardly, it came out that she was bestiality sympathetic in a very serious <laughs> way. This is, this is 15-year-old Tom. <laughs> bestiality sympathetic. Yes. Okay. All right, good. That's a good one, Tom. I like yes. that. So... <laughs> I mean, my perspective is... Did she have a particular animal that horses. she really liked? Horses. Ah, oh, yes, of course. <laughs> yes. So, anyway. and Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. the thing is, you know, when you're a brain-damaged language monkey, it's a, th- it's a crap throw, a crap shoot, what fucked up thing you get. I can actually tell this story generically because through my late teens and early 20s, I repaired a number of people's computers. And part of repairing people's computers was occasionally discovering their porn collections, <laughs> yeah. which gives you we'll a very interesting insight into people. Have now, you ever I- run into a computer that didn't have? Well, of course you. Yeah, probably. Of course, yeah. You just didn't <laughs> happen to stumble onto it. <laughs> yeah. Although it was very curious how. Well, my perspective is actually there's a curious relationship between secrecy and well. I don't know. The more bizarre pornography... In fact, I've talked to my mother-in-law about this as well because she's discovered when she's had people stay with her that they've put porn on her computer periodically. (laughs) Anyway. At least that's her story. That's her story, and she's (laughs) sticking to it. I'm pretty... Well, I don't know. Who knows? But anyway, I always found it very curious when you discovered this stuff (laughs) because some of them are pretty run-of-the-mill, but I tended to find that as people got older, mainly just through, probably through discovery, self-discovery, if nothing more, that their general fetishes and interests became considerably more bizarre and keen. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, that's easily explainable. Mm. Because you got to get weirder to keep it fun. Yeah. It gets boring. Yeah. You know, just a guy and a girl fucking. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> you know, when yeah. you're 40, you've yeah. done, you know, if you've done that, you know, it's time for something else, yeah. you know. And if you're, and that was exactly a major turning point in my life, mm. you know, is when I realized that sex, you know, the way it normally is, mm. wasn't fulfilling something I was looking for. Yeah. You know, and the issue was either to get weirder with sex or to, like, just not worry about that thing and and start looking in other places. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, certainly, I don't know whether I have a repressed or damaged or curious sexuality, but I, I don't know. I mean, there are certain things that really scare me in terms of sexuality. And one of these examples, I found... Certain things that what? I just don't, I mean, my perspective is violence and 
Just, oh yeah, I'm not interested in that. No thanks. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I but I'm always cute. I always find it very strange that you know certain people will be. Oh, I'm, you know, have you ever seen people hanging from hooks and yeah, shit? No, uh, I had a friend that was into that. No, in thank you. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> That's not no, my no, style. No. Yeah. And eventually, just through the nature of doing that, part, body parts start to hang, which is a very curious phenomenon. Well, well you know, it's just, I think it's a dead end, man. Sex, sex is a, a cool thing up until you're late thirties and so you know yeah. and by then you've if you've had the, done it right you've pretty much worn it out you know <laughs> it's time to move on yeah. to what's next you know yeah so one of the computers that i repaired and i'm not going to attribute this to anyone but i'm still friends with the person on facebook and periodically this person will accidentally post he's he's wiener all over in that regard will accidentally post his pornographic interests just mistakenly i think a lot of these porn sites actually are connected to Facebook in such a way where they will just post on Facebook if people have certain interests. Hmm. I mean, very curious thing. Anyway, he had a bunch of, like, midget amputee bondage (laughs) pornography. Transgender midget amputee bondage pornography. Which he still posts occasionally on Facebook and then says, I don't know how this strange stuff got out. Midget porn. Yeah, you know, I've heard about that. That's that's a good one, man. Midget yeah. porn, man. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> well, not just, I mean, transgender. I mean, you're talking about like three people in the US when you start going through these. Transgendered midgets. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many of these people can there be? To, I guess they're very popular. <laughs> I love that. Transgendered midget porn. Bondage transgender midget porn. They're wearing leather and they've got balls in their mouths and stuff. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yes. Yeah. Well, see, that's the beauty of this. Is that there really isn't any place else to go. This yeah. is the end. This is the end. <laughs> what, what, is, what is left? Yeah. There is nothing. I mean, snuff films, but I mean, we've already been through that, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, really... Well, you're right. Actually, this is this is actually the the movement into snuff films, right? Because I mean, after a while, the violence can only get you know just want more violence and how violent. Yeah, well, again, it doesn't even at some point it doesn't make any difference anymore. I mean, same thing with movies. Yeah. You know, you've seen. I mean, that's why I don't believe anything I see in any video anytime. Yes. Because I've been to the movies. Yes. (laughs) You know, I've seen what you can do. Any idiot. You know, yeah. with a with a Macintosh, you know, yeah. can can create amazing special effects. Certainly, yeah. I still haven't. I'm not even a third of the way through the Werner Herzog masterclass. I've got to go back to that. Yeah, I think he frustrated me early on, and I just thought, really, I'm not the intended person for this thing. And what is the thing for? Who is the intended? Werner Herzog, as you may I know, know who he, he is. He did yeah. what they call a masterclass, which is him speaking to a camera, talking about various theories that he has associated with filmmaking. Okay, so it's just basically him yapping on about his ideas about well, what Well, his ideas are, you know, that you buy certain books and you read certain books, but yeah. also no, there are actual projects that you're supposed to do through this. Yeah. I just haven't gone far enough through it. And he did oh, projects meaning, uh, so in, in some sense, this is aimed at uh, people who want to become filmmakers Film or studios. videos. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Although a number of the people, I mean, they've got a guy who works for Vice. Is this for video and film, or is he really talking about film? I don't think there's a distinction here. 
Okay, it's just making moving, it's, it's make moving, yeah, moving pictures. <laughs> yeah, okay. ideally with narrative. He hasn't talked about documentary making. I wonder, but I is there's anybody? I mean, is how much is film still still being used? I mean, I can't imagine that people do. Are movies still shot on film? I don't know. Maybe transgender midget porn. Who knows? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. You need to be very fetishy to use film, right? Well, maybe that's it. Yeah. Yeah. To get that dark grain and all that kind of stuff. It's God. Yeah. It, it, you know, actually, in the last few months, I, I've begun to get a little bit afraid that. You know, the, I mean, I've been talking for a long time about the end is coming. The United mm. States will collapse. Mm. But I was, I was still thinking we had at least 10 more years, mm. maybe 20, you know. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, maybe I was wrong. <laughs> you know, mm. Maybe things are – I mean, if, if things continue to pile up <laughs> the way they are, mm. um, yeah, man – yeah, it's, it's interesting, actually, because, I mean, certainly the way I deconstructed the end of our conversation last recording was associated with perspectives of the apocalypse. And my view is that based on the evidence that we have, that it is going to go, you know, it's going well, terribly wrong. It's, yeah, it's just about the it's really just about whether it's uh, six months from now, uh, two years from now, 10 I, years from now. You see, this is where it gets interesting, because my perspective is that it's the quality it's it's a different kind of apocalypse, but it's basically an apocalypse. Like my and I don't think time actually. Well, has when that the much economy collapses, it. nobody has a job to go to. Yeah, and nobody but there has are any kinds money. Of there are different kinds of economic collapse. There's when yeah. the economy collapses and the super rich exit on their you know shuttles or move to wherever they go. Yeah, yeah. The barricade yeah. the. Yeah, mountains. I'm going where they're going. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they'll let you in. They're not going to let me in, Aaron. I don't think they'll let you in. Oh well, you never can tell. Depends on who your friends are. Yeah, I, you need to be. You need to have these friends now, right? You can't well, that, get that's these certainly friends. one strategy. Yeah, you know, it's not one I've. I've not done, invested but... my time in finding these friends, and I don't think yeah. these friends. Are, well, again, yeah. I thought I had more time. See, that's the thing is, I I mm. still had been until very recently figuring, you know, maybe twenty years yeah. before the United States collapses and yeah. the whole fucking thing just collapses in a heap, you know. Yeah. I guess my perspective is that the the two ends that I see associated with two political leaders, one is a very corporatized end, very clean, you know, just the military coming through, and the other is associated with a bunch of hicks and rednecks and a variety of different folk instigating something, which I think is different, more chaotic, and from my perspective, both are terrifying. But I think I can probably escape easier in a non-corporatized cleanse than I can in a corporatized cleanse. It's immaterial in terms of the ends, but, yeah, it's a very curious Well, I, I am not... I want to put off the collapse as long as possible. My perspective is, maybe it's just where I live, but my perspective is, as an individual, aside from doing what we're doing, I mean, all we can do is what we're doing here, Heron. I think the, the greatest potential for maybe not our survival, but at least for the survival of our ideas is to do what we're doing here. I mean, the only hope I can actually see, which is why, even though I was dead cognitively, physically... Well, but that's a completely separate issue. I mean, that's, that's, that's true anyway. Whether we were going through any kind of weird changes in the world or not, the only thing we have is our, the language we leave behind. You know? True. But the ability <laughs> to leave behind language to such a diverse group of folk... 
Well, it's there to anybody who can stumble upon it and find it. Yes. But <laughs> or find, whether or yeah. not, again, I don't think that, well, I think some people will, this is perfect for some people, but I think mm. it's a, at this point, it's a relatively small sampling, I think. Mm. But that's, see, that doesn't bother me. I, I think that's, I think that's as it should be right now, because like you say, I thought, well, again, this thing, this process may occur faster than I had thought it would, mm. which would mean that people are going to be waking up a lot faster, too, as well as well, these things going to shit. There are going to be more people mm. going, wait a minute here. Mm. <laughs> you know, well, so. my great concern through this, which is why I perhaps feel that what we do here is perhaps slightly more important in meaningful terms, is associated with media and the fact that the media is an independent entity here. And here I'm talking about the commercial media. But the media is an independent entity, particularly as a means of propagating misinformation and working actively against anything <laughs> yeah, that we would yeah. want to. Yeah, there's you know. a, well, everybody's got an axe to grind, you know, especially the moneyed interests. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. It's all very curious. It's all very right, curious. It's fascinating. See, the thing is, this is why I guess I, I can relax a little bit because I really don't think it's under our control. Yeah, no. I, well, I really think it is yeah. something. Well, again, in my story, it's something Earth is doing. This is a yeah. natural metamorphosis of the planet yeah. from one phase to another. Yeah. And what we're seeing is, you know, the, the troops on the ground, how it plays out. But I think the end, the end is probably assured. I think it's a healthy planet doing, doing well. Expelling the horrible human entities that are well it, it's, so much. you know, it, uh, there's a lot less mass in a butterfly than there is in a, in, not in all of the species, but in some. I mean, the yeah. mass is considerably less. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So a lot of stuff from the caterpillar just uh, goes away. Mm. Mm. And I, th I think that's, like I said, that, that's my, my analogy for what I expect to see is, um, you know, these two systems, one emerging out of the chaos of the other, <laughs> the thing is to be able to identify these emerging systems. Hmm. Yeah, I well, have to. Con I have to yeah. confess, I had a great degree of fun on your Facebook page today, associated with the Bostrom post. Bostrom's uh, really thought provoking. Well, you know? he's 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 the Wittgenstein of AI analysis. He has. <laughs> well, I don't two, know. I wouldn't go that far. But. Well, he has two clear in one regard at least. He has two clear phases, and then he has a series of writings which don't fit equally into either yeah. phase. Well, he's like anybody else. My ideas have changed. I assume yours exactly. have changed over the years. The time. You know? the time. No, I, I've embraced Bostrom in later life through exactly that, because yeah. eventually he's... Well, it's the same with Wittgenstein. Yeah, the, the Tractatus yeah. is a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At least that's my opinion. I actually he didn't think it was a waste stuff, of time. But, yeah. He just saw it as part of his path. But. Exactly. Yeah, well, it's part of getting to where he is, or yeah. where he was. yeah. So, but he essentially, you know, divorced himself from it, you know. And, and, um, and I think Bostrom just realized at some level that writing what he wrote initially academically, you know, he wrote the coattails of his buddies through that period. But then he started to like actually being interviewed and doing this stuff. And he started writing more popularly. <laughs> sure, it sounds like completely fun. changed his view in that writing. And it's interesting, actually, I, Liz Swan was a philosopher that I talk with periodically. I recorded podcasts with her periodically. And we used to lament Bostrom because we both read the original Bostrom and understood it. 
And no one seemed to actually do that. And based on that, he was able to quite comfortably completely change his story because no one really understood the original writing. I mean, no one had gone through the 10,000 yeah. odd words and the bits and pieces about it. But what well, I found I'm particularly not, again, nice. I, this, this book is the only thing I've ever read of him. Yeah. So I know nothing about him. I had yeah. no preconceptions about him one way or another. I just, I noticed the title and mm. read a little bit about it and thought, okay, let's check it out. What mm -hmm. I found particularly nice associated with the conversation on your Facebook page was the ability to introduce to someone the idea that intelligence in, is the way it is talked about by, yeah. you know, people like Boston, people like me, occasionally people like you is associated with something that is independent from humans. Yeah, the, yeah, the whole idea of trying to imitate, we've already got human intelligence, yeah. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's see what else we can do. <laughs> I love talking about horses and cars. I mean, I think horses and cars actually can explain yeah, yeah, it to a, a group of the population. Or birds and, and jet fighters. You know? yeah, yeah, exactly. Although you know, horses I mean, and cars have, they both have practical. with horses. Horses yeah. are great. Yeah. <laughs> but... We've yeah. never strapped ourselves to birds, but we've strapped ourselves to horses. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, um, yeah. I mean, I think that's an interesting sort of sideline is imitating humans. I mean, yes. that certainly is something worth playing with for sure. But that's almost like debilitating the thing. Exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, that's like building a robotic horse. Yeah, you yeah, know? it's just it's insane. You know, yeah. I mean, why would you want to do that? What can you do? What can this thing do? Exactly. You know, but no, the ability to do that in a I don't know what it was three or four interchanges. I mean, your friend didn't respond following my final point, but he actually made my point for me, which was always very useful. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It yeah. The, it's um. Yeah, yeah. It was clear in a lot of the stuff I read recently too about the, the a lot of the people who were arguing against AI, saying, "Well, it'll never be a human. It'll never feel like humans feel." You know. Yeah. Who cares? You know. Duh. Well, that's not even. I think the problem is that people think that that's the discussion. I mean, well, people actually. Well, but think anyone who thinks that's the discussion doesn't know what the fuck the discussion is about i know but i think part of being a participant in the discussion is actually introducing people to what the discussion is actually yeah. about well declaring at least your position that i don't give a shit about whether we can imitate humans <laughs> you know what well, can that's these not even things the point. do i mean that's the important thing is that that's not the point it's not about imitating humans at all it's about well, actually it's just for some people though that's exactly the point well from there but i mean in terms of that's the thing. It, it's about whatever you say it's about, not because that's the way it is, but because that's the way you conceive of it. Well, I guess my perspective has been, and I've always framed these discussions in this light, that there are things that we need to understand. We need to be able to understand the road system or the financial system or the legal system or all these systems that exist out there. Apparently, I mean, the financial system, I tried to talk. Why do we need to understand any of that? Um, because my perspective is that these are systems that, without any philosophy, have developed control relationships with humanity where there is no adequate philosophy, there's no language to adequately talk about these systems. Yeah, but so what? That's You're going to change that? The role of philosophy historically has been a variety of different things. But I think it has some burden of responsibility, particularly when you look at aesthetic philosophy and these kind of things, to develop languages and also popularize these ideas. I mean, part of it is about 
getting regular folk to actually think about well, it's what does intelligence It's called PR. Yeah, it's well, called getting on TV. Like, <laughs> something like that. But, you know, I mean, my perspective here is that this is something that I could lend a hand to, you know, yeah. through yeah. the experiences that I've had, some of the insights that I've had. And that's why the Eight Brain Narcissism article, which I wrote four or five, actually, no, it's eight years ago now or something like that. You know, these kind of things have at least created, changed the level of discussion because Boston wasn't doing it back then. And I think we need to push forward an ability to have a discussion. Have you read uh, his book, Superintelligence? Um, I've read, I've read three of his published academic works. I don't know if I've read Superintelligence. Yeah, because it's, I'm finding it really a sort of good overview of one guy's analysis yeah. of the state of uh, what's available and where it could go and what it but could it, do. I mean, my frustration with Bostrom's early work is he didn't do that. I'm not sure how much he did. For well, that's why I was asking you if you've read the current one, because yeah. it'd be interesting to hear your opinion on it, because I'm finding concern, it very useful. Okay, I've, I've purchased books previously under your recommendation. Yeah, but no, you do what you want to do. Yeah. I'm just asked. Okay, you know, I, I will con- when, when you get to its end. Actually, I've got it as a PDF. I can just send it to you. Okay, send it to me. I'll read Will you it read it on a PDF? Do you have an iPad? I, I don't know. I'm, interestingly enough... In the areas that I read in, and mainly because of the need to flee at any given time, I'm actually increasing my Kindle library. I mean, I don't... Do you have a Kindle? Well, I have the app on my phone. Oh, on, oh I see. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, and the Kindle will read PDFs? Uh, no, I'll buy books. But you can PDFs. convert it. I can read PDFs. I'm yeah. no reading PDFs. Yeah. Right. Uh, anyway, I just absolutely again, I'm I've just become such a lover of reading on my iPad. That's just I can't imagine reading. Well, actually, with this Retina display, it's just it's not as I mean, it's, it's not as comfortable as lying in bed reading. Mm. You know? But but it looks as good. I tell you, the Retina display is just awesome. I used to just hate having to read anything on the screen. This is the key thing because this is the distinction. So, funnily enough, I actually did something last week, which I've completely forgotten about talking about, which is very curious. But last week, or from Thursday through to Monday last week, I went to a place called Morro Bay, which is just north of Santa Barbara. Yeah. My spiritual advisor, her sister, her sister's uh, partner, and their extended in-laws. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent only, well, I spent probably two-thirds of the time with my spiritual advisor and a third of the time as well with the in-laws and other people. But um, the my spiritual advisor's sister is a Kindle aficionado, but she only has an iPod, sorry, she only has an iPad 2. Oh, with not a retina display. Not a retina. Yeah, yeah, and this yeah, is the killer. Awful. Yeah, this it is. is. The killer. She the... prefers the Kindle, but I sure. think if she had a retina display iPad, in fact, I'm sending <laughs> she her She changed her tune real fast. <laughs> I'm sending her my phone. She should enjoy reading on that very quickly. Nah, that's well. too small, though. Phone. Yeah. Uh, well, she, needs, me, she needs yeah. a retina display. Uh, display. I, she needs yeah. a good high def yeah. uh, retina display. In any case. It was oh, it's so to- beautiful to have. I yeah. mean, honestly, I, I think it's one of the most important things that's happened in computing in a long time is I these high-def screens. Um, I'm completely on board with that. I mean, I- iStrain is just 
You well, know. it was a kill. I never yeah. even understood how bad it was until yeah. I got this thing. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make that much difference on the phone because the phone's so damn small anyway. It's just sort of pointless. But, yeah. but boy, on the iPad, well, and on this 27-inch monitor, man, mm-hmm. it is stunning. I, I mean, I, I still, I've had this for like a year and a half now. Mm-hmm. And every time I look at it, I just think, holy shit, am I glad I got that. <laughs> Yeah, the people I work with have 4K displays now, which I think are Sony or stuff like that. I've not uh-huh. pulled the trigger on a 4K display at work. I don't feel I really need it. But I do well, find... Well, if you read on it, you need it. It's that simple. Yeah. Reading on it is a whole different universe. Certainly. Yeah, get it, man. They'll buy it for you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Shit. What are you waiting for? Yeah, I need to do. I've got you a two-year-old computer. So. Do it, man. Yeah, yeah. But no, it was interesting going down to the coast, in particular, based on this. Because I guess I was day four or five from this lucid dream thing, and I just thought I have a period of time here where I can detox. I didn't do actually. I had to go into work on Monday when I got back in the evening when I got back, but I pretty well avoided work through that period of time. I. You know, got a tan, I actually got sunburnt, I sat out in the sun and read and thought, and it was amazing, actually. One aspect of this, which was very curious, was the amount of latent weed smoke there was in the air. This is a beach community <laughs> where everyone, from the teenagers through to the, you know, 75, 80-year-olds, all smoke weed. You mean, and where was this? What, it's called I mean, Morrow Bay. No, I know that. I mean, I mean where? You mean you're sitting at, in a park somewhere? No, or in no, a I, literally, or? This, is, this is what would happen. We were sitting out, um, you know, there was a guy um, barbecuing. He was smoking weed with his wife. There was a woman and her elderly husband doing a garage sale. They were blazing a joint. And so you were walking down, down no, the street? No, no, I was sitting. I was sitting. They were 30 feet in one direction, 40 feet in another direction. Okay, and, and the beach is the, is on the other side or something? Oh, or the what? beach wasn't visible. Morrow Bay is a... It's oh, like I know. A, I've been in Morrow Bay. I you've know been where. to Morrow Bay. Okay. I know about Morrow Rock anyway. Yep. <laughs> I've so, been there. Still there. Still there. <laughs> still there. They didn't still get there. rid of it. No, no. No, no. The power plant is still there too, even though it's not in use, which is very curious. <laughs> but anyway. So, yeah. But uh, no, when I was... The beach is kind of curious at Morrow Bay. We went up to the beach to the south, which name escapes me now. That was actually much more our kind of beach town. Uh, and that had a very long beach and a jetty pier that went out. And we wandered around there for a day, which was very nice. Mm. But yeah, no, just the, I guess, you know, medical cannabis, the way it's been absorbed into California culture is just pretty well omnipresent now. And it's interesting. Well, it, I, yeah. I posted the catnip joke. (laughs) Yeah, that was a good one. (laughs) It's probably all the same catnip, you know. But anyway, they just have different names. And, yeah, I think it's difficult, particularly for folks who, you know, don't have these experiences or don't live in California or, you know, don't live in a a legalized Colorado Colorado or decriminalized state, what a difference this thing makes. Well, I don't know. It would be interesting to see what happens. Uh, I mean, everybody seems to think it's going to pass in California, regardless of whether you like it or not. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. It doesn't really make much difference to me, you know. It just, yeah. I don't know what, yeah, I don't know if it's, well, I don't know what the issue is. 
Yeah. But it just, it isn't like it used to be. No. no. <laughs> but I was much younger then. Oh, again, <laughs> this is what I was doing. This is what I was reading. There's a fellow called Joe Pytre. He has two books. One, I think, is called The King of Nepal, and the other one is called The 15-Ounce Pound. I've talked historically about writing books or a book associated with how cannabis has changed and also associated with the role of high times and all these other for-profit things. This guy has written those two books. So a lot of my time was actually spent... When did you discover this? Um, well, I was starting to do research. I, I, I probably should cancel it now. I got the subscription to every High Times in PDF form because I was actually going through and detailing it. So I started doing searches for this skunk man, Sam guy, who's attributed to, you know, bringing the skunk strain yeah. and popularizing it and all this kind of stuff. And immediately found this Joe Pytree's book, The 15 Ounce Pound where he goes through and talks about how these three characters writing and publishing and existing under numerous pseudonyms <laughs> have actually created the cannabis industry in a very curious way. And Pytree was one of these hash smugglers who went to Nepal and used to send tons of hash, quite literally, to the US in various things. He always put them around animals. He made cage animal cages and pack the hash into the animal cages. They were very strange. They were like dog travel boxes, only very bulbous, and you pack the hash <laughs> into the animal cages. Yeah, well, it's, it's extra, you know, cushioning for the dogs exactly. inside. Sent, yeah. Well, dogs and pandas and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah so they need that extra cushion. He was a fascinating... I mean, he's still alive. He's a fascinating character in terms of, you know, his adventures in Nepal. There's so many different ways to live a life. Yes, I mean, right. talk about wiener. <laughs> then you got this yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so if anyone is interested, I've really thoroughly got to <laughs> recommend Joe Pytree's stuff. They're available on Kindle, which is how I consume them. I thought about buying the books physically, but the Kindle prices are pretty good. And, oh, uh, and who I, would, do you actually like reading paper books? I have, well, this is where it gets interesting. I'm actually converting over to the Kindle currently in terms yeah. of digital stuff. So. Yeah. Yes, I think my days of paper books are paper is uh, yeah. is for Neanderthals, man. Yeah. It's it's you know it was a wonderful technology, but mm. paper cutting up trees and mashing them mm. and putting toxic chemicals on it's them. Interesting, and, and because it still I, doesn't I have, look as good I as have my this relationship does. with VHS and DVDs. Now I've moved almost anything of interest that I can get over to digital. Yeah, and I'm starting to realize the same with regards to paper books. There are some paper books that will yeah. never exist in digital form. Yeah, they're the yeah, ones that, that I can that still be true. Yeah. feel comfortable about, but owning. not much. <laughs> but not much, and increasingly less and less. And you could always take it upon yourself to convert it to scan them. Yes, true. Well, I own a scanner, which was in yeah, itself, I mean, itself very difficult it's, uh, to get. It's yeah. you know that's a great service. People do that. You know. Yeah. And provide a real great service to humanity yeah. by doing yeah. it. So yeah, everything should be well. Almost everything is available now, mm. isn't it? I mean, the spelling of this gentleman's name for folks who are genuinely interested is P I E T R I Joseph or Joe Pytre, and um, the fifteen ounce pound is his. It's for, it's they're both curiously written. The 15-ounce pound is associated with the role of high times folk in creating strains, cannabis culture, all this kind of stuff, and also the historical manipulation 
and the creation of like mythological stories that are the truth, <laughs> which is fascinating. This but, was all done consciously. Yeah, no, it was done, and the way he narrates it is very. I mean, he has his own particular perspective because yeah, this is his story. <laughs> as a hash smuggler, he has a particular interest in the way hash is created, and he argues that the way that they're advocating people to create hash is a watered down means of doing it and there's a whole series of like intellectual property theft issues through this but um <laughs> i read them out of order i wrote read the 15 ounce pound first and then the king of nepal or whatever it's called second there may be benefit in reading them in chronological order because you have a much better sense of the man having read the one associated with his dealings in nepal but also it portrays an amazing period of time which i as you well know heron have some degree of interest in, and that is the mid to late 1960s and early 1970s in the US, which I think is the epicenter of a series of cultural revolutions. Oh, it was that, an awesome place yeah. to be, man. Yes, so, sir. Yes. Yes. Yet it really was a sense, among some of us anyway, uh, of a kind of camaraderie. You walk down the street, and, mm. and there could be 100 people on the street. Mm. But you'd see some guy on the other side or somebody, and you'd catch their eye, and you knew that yep. they were on your side, you know, yep. and you were on their side. It was amazing. Yep. It was, wow. Now it's every entity for themselves. <laughs> well, not for everybody. That's See, that's... Um, well, not for the Christians. Well, not for the Christians, not for other people who are waking up from the trance of their language machine, you know? Uh, but there are also many false nirvanas out there, and I certainly felt this with regards to various, you know, recent experiences that I've had as well. So, uh, What are you talking about? I'm going about? to a salon in Santa Cruz, specifically. Uh-huh. Um, now, I did meet, and I this is a mutual friend of Lyle and mine, and as he's one of our star listeners for t this evening, I'm going to say that. I did meet <laughs> a teacher of Lyle's who That's is right, not part of this. we have our featured listener for the evening. Our featured listener, yes. <laughs> I did meet a man who's very important in Lyle's life. That's I a think good idea. I like that. We'll have a featured yeah. listener. Joe the drummer, you're next. So I'm not talking about this particular about gentleman that, that was uh, really – Pierre Trudeau guy. No, they never they – never, um, they, they're very strange, Aaron. I had a series of curious interactions associated with them. Okay, no Canadians. Okay, never mind. No, they're, they're, um, oh, are you talking about Ron Perry? Well, well, no, I just, you know, I'm just thinking, the you know, French for Canadian folks that contacted us uh, seem to be Obama. Yes. I mean, who okay. knows? He might show up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there seem to be a number of Obamas that show up in strange places, but I'm not sure if there are any of the real ones. Or Hillary anyway. or Donald. Yeah, we should do have a Donald, we should have Donald Trump on here. Damn Skippy. Yeah. Really, that would be a coup for us, wouldn't it? It would. <laughs> We'd probably just get on Donald Trump Jr., Heron. We, I don't know whether we could get the real Donald Trump. We'd get Donald oh, Trump Jr. It would be great fun to have him here. Yeah. If he one had the, the daughters. for it. Why don't we get one of the daughters on? They seem more fun than the, the men. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, but, you know. There's mm. the one daughter that no one ever talks about that apparently is probably very... Receptive to the stuff that we talk about. So maybe we'll try to get her on. 
<laughs> Listen, it's your show. <laughs> you're I, the producer. If you can produce a Trump water or a I'm Trump reminded of that. Yes. You know, yeah. or an uncle or you know, somebody. You know, someone yeah. who lived down the street from him once. Hmm. You know. They're they're easier to find, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so when you go to Seal Beach twice a week. This is really your hajj to the coast, right? This is a reminder in some level, aside from obviously the horrible language monkey nature of the work, but you like smell the sea air and stuff like that as well. Um, You know, yeah, it is nice. I never see it or anything. I just, I drive into the back of a building and get out and go in and and then I leave in the evening. (laughs) It's pretty routine, but it, but it is, I don't feel bad going there. Hmm. See, that's, that's one nice thing. Even, you know, just knowing where I am. And sometimes when there's really nothing to do, I'll walk out the front door and stand around out there on Main Street, you know? Mm. And that's kind of cool. And I'm sure you can smell the sea air from Main Street, right? Oh, well, sure. It's a couple hundred yards away. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> sure. I, I'm not sure. That's interesting. Smell the sea air. I, I don't notice any difference in the air there. I haven't mm. noticed any, but I haven't mm. really thought about it either. Uh, I, I think, and I spent a lot of time at the beach in my life. Certainly. There's a place, there's a there's an area from the water where there's a lot of moisture in the air, mm. and but that only goes in a couple hundred yards at the most. But the salt in the air, or the smell of salt, or whatever can be yeah. attributed. Well, to I that. don't notice it. Mm. Well, but then I don't have much of a sense of smell anyway, so maybe yeah. that's just my lack of smell. Alas. But it is nice, you know. I mean, it's nice to drive somewhere where you don't feel bad about going there. Mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's something, you know, to be thankful yes. for. <laughs> yes. Well, Heron, I'm I'm out of topics unless you have one that you want to raise. No, um, I think I'm through. Okay. So next week, our dedicated listener will be Joe the drummer. <laughs> Joe, you know what to do. Hit me up on Twitter. Topics, ideas, theories, you're the guy. This is good and put someone on the spot. Every Skippy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, let's Get see working Let's see us. how clever this Joe guy is. Yeah, I've met the Joe. I've met the Joe the drummer. I've met Joe the drummer, and uh, I spent an evening with him, actually. I bought him yeah. a good portion in of In real dinner. space, too. Yeah, in, in real squish. Space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know Joe in some sense that, yeah, he's an entity that exists. <sighs> well, I have yet to see that. <laughs> to me, you have, you've seen just photos of him, though, right? You've seen at least a photo of Joe the drummer. Oh, yeah, I've probably seen a few. Yeah, I didn't pay much. I've talked. We had a good talk. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's all I know of him is is the talk we had. Yeah. And that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Terrific. Well, I think I'll actually be able to talk to you in a week's time. Let's hope, Heron. Let's. Hope. Well, uh, yes, let's hope. Talk to you soon. Take care. Good night.